Today, I want to share with you this story from God's Word in John chapter 2. One that you might know very well. Maybe one that you don't know. Um, maybe one that you're loosely familiar with. But this is a story about Jesus' ministry and uh, kind of the beginning of his ministry. Um, where he turns water into wine. Now, if you've never read this, you're not familiar with this, or maybe you have, at least most people are familiar with the story as far as that it exists. Yeah, I mean, even non-believers would be like, yeah, didn't Jesus, yeah, I've heard of him, didn't he turn water into wine? Like, when people talk about, you know, whether Christians, how do, what do Christians believe about alcohol? You know, and Christians fall on either side. Some are like, hey, you know, look, it's, it's alcohol, don't touch it, don't even talk about it, it's bad for you. You know, if you're really a Christian, then you don't have anything to do with alcohol. And other, that's maybe one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is, well, Jesus turned water into wine, so it must be no problem with it, right? <laughs> even Jesus drank. Well, this passage actually doesn't say that Jesus drank, it just says that he turned water into wine. So that's, that's one thing to remember. But it's interesting how people have heard about this story and they assume certain things about Jesus and his people, right? Whether they're drinkers or not or somewhere in between. That's not the point of this story. The point of this story is not whether or not alcohol is okay uh, for Christians or not. Uh, if you want to know the short, the short answer as far as my understanding of Scripture, I think this falls into the category of first. Corinthians where Paul talks about meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, there are some that, that this is something to where it is it sears their conscience. And so that they should stay away from it. There are others who it doesn't. He actually does tell Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. Okay, so we could proof text all throughout the New Testament. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is the will of God. That's the point of this passage. How do we seek the will of God? Can we possibly seek the will of the Father and also have desires within ourselves that we want to see happen? If we want the will of God, does that mean that we can't want anything at all as far as our heart's desire? How do we line those two things up? Do you have things in your life that you would love for, for those things to come to pass? Maybe it's getting a job. Maybe it's getting married. Maybe it's something to do with, you know, the way that you serve in the church. Do you have desires when we pray God's will to be done, like things like in Afghanistan right now? We have desires. How do we line up those desires with God's will? What things can we pray? What things can we ask for? If we ask for certain things, are we overstepping? Right? You know what I'm talking about? I think you have those things too that you wonder, okay, I, I really desire for this to happen. I think this is a good thing. How do I ask God for this and, and still respect His sovereignty and, and still not make life all about me? I think we have a great example from John chapter 2 and what Mary says. She says this, and this is why the, 
sermon is entitled, Whatever He Tells You. Because that's the whole point of this passage. If you hear anything, if you take away anything from this morning, let it be that phrase. And the implications that this phrase that Mary utters, the implications that it has for your life. When we say to ourselves, to God, and to other people, it's whatever Jesus tells you. It's whatever Jesus tells me. It has far-reaching implications for us. So how should we turn things over to God? How should we turn the things we care about over to God? Do you have things right now that you're thinking about that you need to turn over to God? Things that you care about? That you need to turn over to Him and, and you wonder, how do I do this? How do I turn this over to God? So let's read verses 1 through 10 and then we're going to come back to it. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. When the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the, the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. We're going to stop there. I just want to comment on a few things in this passage and then we're going to get to the points. When we read this, we notice that this was a day within the wedding feast ceremony, which was several days, it was six to seven days, we discover that they come towards the end, the middle to the end of this ceremony. Jesus and his disciples come in, They're, they've been invited uh, to the feast and so they come. Something that you'll notice that Others have noticed before us is the way that John writes about Mary. Now we know Jesus' mother's name is Mary, but we don't see that name in this passage, do we? There's a reason for that. It might not be what you think. But John says, the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, verse 2 says. When the wine ran out... Not Mary, but John says, who? The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. That's all she says. They have no wine. Jesus says to her, not mother, but woman. What does that have to do with us? Verse 5, his mother said to the servants. I want you to notice something. Some people will, some preachers and not very scholarly ones will make a big deal out of the way Jesus is, 
using, and John is using the word mother, to indicate that somehow Jesus was disrespecting her. Somehow she had bothered him with something that's inconsequential, and so he refers to her as a woman, woman, kind of like we do today, right? If a, if a young man or a grown man talks to his mother and says, woman, that is not a very endearing address, is it? No, it's disrespectful, right? Is Jesus being disrespectful to his mother? Is Mary getting all bent out of shape because she's a woman, she's at a wedding, and we know how women are, especially if you're related to the bride, are at weddings, right? Most women want this to go without a hitch. What can we do to make this the best day of her life? Because she deserves it. The, the bride deserves this. And so some would say, well, here Mary is. She's getting all bent out of shape. She's not thinking about the kingdom. She's not thinking about who Jesus really is. She gets sidetracked. She gets worried about the wedding and the things that are going on in the wedding. And so she bothers Jesus, who doesn't need to be bothered about this stuff. And he's like, okay, since you're my mom, I'll do this. Bada bing, water into wine. Here you go. That's not what's going on here. Mary is setting an example in this passage for what it looks like to trust Jesus. And Jesus is not responding to her as a way of disrespect. In Matthew chapter 12, you'll see a little bit of an explanatory cross-reference for, for why it is this is not a matter of Jesus disrespecting his mother. This is not a situation where Mary is being petty or she's nagging and so Jesus calls her woman. This is not what's going on. Matthew chapter 12, if you look in verse 46, starting in verse 46, a different situation, a different time. The Bible says here, while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus, verse 48 says, answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. Now listen to this. Verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. So instead of this being understood as, misunderstood as Jesus saying to his mother, Mary, who he should have been respectful of, he says, woman, instead of that being a term of disrespect, what Jesus is doing is he's showing us, he's showing his disciples, he's showing, verbalizing to Mary and to everyone there that a change has happened. Now he's doing the Father's will and his biological mother, all of his brothers, all of his friends, everybody that he has to do with are all the same in God's sight because they're now on mission for the Father. Doing the will of the Father. And as we're all doing the will of the Father, we are all brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers under his authority. 
That's essentially what Jesus is saying and what John is pointing out in chapter 2. So that we have a context, we have a little reference of what's going on. Many scholars believe that this wedding, that weddings during this time in the ancient Near East, if those throwing the banquet do not treat those who they've invited reciprocally, think of it as like party favors today, there would have been legal ramifications. So think of it today, it's got a little bit of a parallel, but not exactly. You send your kids to a friend's birthday party, right? And they take gifts, right? That's why people throw birthday parties. Invite all your friends, right? Lots of gifts. And so all your friends come, they give presents. And what's the, what's the birthday girl, the birthday boy's parents supposed to do? Provide what? Party favors, right? So the kids that come and bring gifts, they get a party favor, they go home, they open it up, they've got candy, they got toys, whatever, you know. That's great, but imagine, now sometimes you might get bothered, you know, you send your kids to a party and they come back, hey, where's your party favor? Well, we didn't get one. Oh, okay, well that's one thing, but, but imagine if the next day, okay, a solicitor shows up to that kid's door and it's like, is your name so-and-so? Did you throw a party, invite a bunch of people, and didn't give them a party favor? Yes. You've been served. That's a little extreme, right? But that's kind of what's going on here. Many scholars believe that those banquets where people would come and they would shower gifts on this family, and these parties would last for days, a full week. The family was expected to provide for the guests who have showered their blessing upon the bride and groom. And so for the wine to run out was not just Mary nitpicking. This was significant. Significant. So what is she doing when she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Number one, she declared Jesus' authority. She is essentially saying to these servants. Now, remember where the servants show up in this story. You need to see that in the passage. They show up in the very beginning. Mary goes to the servants and she addresses them. She tells the servants what? Whatever he tells you, do it. We see them show up later on in the end of the story. They are not insignificant. Though they are probably the, the group of people at the wedding that nobody really notices very much. They're just keeping the stuff coming. Make sure the food's on the table. Make sure there's a drink in everybody's hand. But she is essentially saying to these servants, there is one person who can save this party. Only one who can save this party. Now the implications go further than that, but I want you to, again, think about modern day wedding environment. Hey, I grew up with three brothers and, and an older sister and a mom who, when you're at something like a wedding or a rehearsal, you're just there to do what they tell you. Amen? Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Even at my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, who I was kind of part of, the, you know, one of the siblings putting it together, but there were certain things 
I told my brothers, I said, guys, you better just let Kelly run with this, our older sister. She probably already knows exactly what direction she wants to go with this. Let's defer to her. And she did. And so what did we do? We showed up. And we're like, what do you want us to do, Kelly? What do you want us to carry? We knew. We better carve out. There's no golf. There's no basketball. There's no doing the things that my brothers and I would do when we get together. We are there to serve whatever they tell us to do. It'd be really easy for Mary to say, now listen, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. I have some weight here. I have some pull. People know me. And so here's my plan. Now, Jesus, you make this happen. You do your part. And servants, you're going to follow my plan. But he's kind of the key to make all this happen. He's, he's the grunt work. See, Mary doesn't try to manage or manipulate the situation. You notice the brevity of her statement? She's literally saying, if this party can be saved, if it is possible for this party to be saved, Jesus is the one to do it. She doesn't present a plan. She makes a declaration of Jesus' authority to the servants. This is, a, this is a statement of faith. And she says, whatever he says, do it. I believe that Mary knew Jesus better than anyone at that wedding, better than his apostles, better than the disciples. She knew what he was capable of. She knew his identity. And because of her personal relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, she at this point was the one in the room qualified to be able to say what she said to these servants. She got it. Jesus alone has authority to completely change the situation. Why? Because of her personal walk with him. What does your personal walk with him look like right now? Is your personal walk with him, is it so close right now that you, that you know when those things come up in your life where you go, nobody can fix this. There is no one, not even me. I cannot change this. I cannot fix this. This is doomed unless Jesus steps in, unless God steps in and moves this cannot be saved. I believe that what God, God's word is showing us here is that without a personal, close walk with Jesus, we will not be able to make these faith statements and, and put our faith and our trust in his authority to do whatever he wills. Because our faith is not there yet, it's not ready yet. What does a personal walk with Christ look like today? Well, it is also a walking and talking type of faith. An old hymn says, he walks with me, he talks with me, he tells me that I'm his own. Where does he do that? In his word. In his word. I've noticed in my life, in times where I struggle in my faith, it's usually because I'm not spending time in God's word. I'm not nourished on his word. 
I don't know him as intimately as in other times. And so my statements, my prayers are not brief. They're really long. And then I stress and I wonder, is he listening? Mary says, whatever he says, do it. I have faith in his authority. I know he has power over the wind and the waves and everything on this earth. I wonder what his servants, what the servants were wondering. What would you be thinking if you're a servant at a wedding today and one of the matriarchs in the family came to you and said, see my son over there with all of his friends, all those, all those guys? Do whatever he tells you to do. What, is, what does this guy know about weddings? <laughs> I would probably question her judgment. Are you sure? This philosopher sage guy over here with the long hair? Are you sure? What does he know about your troubles? About your life? He knows everything. And he has the authority over everything. The second thing that she does is she defers to his sovereignty. She defers to his sovereignty. Does God care about the things that you care about? Mary was at this wedding and she was troubled. We don't know all of the implications of the wine running out. We don't know what would have happened, but people have speculated over the years considering the customs of the ancient Near East. But Mary cared. She cared deeply about this family, about this couple, and about what would happen if the guests found out that the wine had run out. Does God care about the things that you care about? Yes, He does. He cares about the things that you care about. But when we try to manipulate things, when we try to control the things in our life, we are essentially saying to that question, no, God doesn't care about the things I care about. And we want to save those things in our own strength or those people in our own strength. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Did you catch it? Have you ever prayed and thought, well, maybe even said this, God already knows. He already knows everything. So why should I even bother talking to him about this? You ever struggle with that in your prayer time? He already knows everything. I'm not telling him anything new. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, supplication, let your requests. Whose requests? Your requests. Let your requests be made known to God. Well, he already knows everything doesn't matter. The Bible said, do you not know that God and his sovereignty knew that the wine had run out at that wedding? Of course he did. Of course he did. Think of Mary, what's going through her mind. She could have, she could have said, what are you doing? 
You know that the wine has run out. You know the implications of this. What are you doing sitting over there in the corner talking to your disciples? She didn't do that. Nor did she say, well, I mean, he knows about it. He's here in person. So why should I get out of shape about this? No, she, she tells him. But notice how she tells him. She doesn't try to cajole him or manipulate him or anything like that. She simply makes this statement. The wine has run out. They're out of wine. That's it. She casts her burden upon Jesus and says, this is what I see. And she steps back. She lets him handle it. And then she turns to the servants and she says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She doesn't offer up a plan. She makes her request known to him. Then she turns to the servants, that is the people that are immediately there, and she says, do what he tells you. You know, that's what God wants us to do as Christians with our neighbors, our friends, our family members. Is not indoctrinate them into some religion. It's not to try to fix their life. It's to simply put them in the hands of Jesus and say, do whatever he tells you to do. Follow him. He knows best. Mary knew Jesus. She knew him. And the more that I know Jesus and the more that you know Jesus, the simpler it becomes to lay our burdens at his feet. To simply say, the wine has run out. Don't stress about it. Don't try to control things. But let your requests be made known to him. Trusting in his authority and deferring to his sovereignty. She doesn't say, Jesus, this party has to be successful if there is no more wine do you know what will happen she doesn't stress about all that stuff she says there's no more wine here you go she leaves it with him oh that's so hard for me to do is it for you so hard for me to do but the closer we walk with him and the more we know him the more simpler it becomes more simple it becomes to just leave things in his hands and if he doesn't do it according to my way, I have to be okay with that. But notice what Jesus does. He, he delivers. She leaves it in his hands. She tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And they do. They listen to him. Verse 6, now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 of the... 20 or 30 gallons each. That's a lot. Jesus simply said, fill the water pots with water. The next part of that verse is vital. Do you know what it says? Look in your copy of the Scriptures with me. The last sentence in verse 8, what does it say? Or I'm sorry, verse 7. He tells them to do something, and what do they do? They do it. Isn't that crazy? They just do it. Fill the water pots with water. Okay. The Bible says, not only did they fill them with water, they filled them to the brim, up to the very top. Here you go. They're full of water. 
Jesus says, verse 7, fill them with water. Verse 8, He said to them, draw out some and take it to the head waiter. He didn't tell them how all this is working. He didn't say how more wine was going to present itself. He gave them steps for them to follow. They didn't ask questions. What did they just do? They just did it. Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She probably knew he's going to tell them to do stuff. They're going to be like, what does this have to do with anything? But they did it. They did it. You know, sometimes when you share your faith with people and they want to know why you follow Christ, and they're wondering about what it means to put their faith in Christ, and they have all these questions. Well, if I believe in Christ, if I become a Christian, how is that going to help me in this part of my life, and in this part of my life, and how is it going to affect this, and this relationship, and etc.? And the temptation is, is for us to try to give them all the answers. You know what I'm talking about? Well, you know, in my experience, this could happen. What does Mary do? She just says, do whatever he tells you. He tells them to do things, they do it. It's just about obedience. I can't tell you what your life is going to look like in the next 10 years, the next year. I can't tell you what's going to happen. I can't tell you what the repercussions are for you when you follow Jesus. But I do know this. If you do what he tells you to do, if you do what he tells you to do, you will be blessed. Right now, many Christians here are wondering, in the last 20 years, we've sent missionary upon missionary to Afghanistan to, not to westernize the Afghanis, but to share the gospel with them. And many are feeling guilty. They're saying, what have we done? Because now they're going to be persecuted for their faith. If you follow God's will one step at a time, He will take care of all the rest. I believe that. I believe it. We have to trust Him. But the more we know Jesus, the more simple it becomes to lay our burdens at His feet and defer to His sovereign plan. Finally, and lastly, something that Jesus does. An opportunity. And not that all this depended upon Mary, but I want you to notice that by her telling the servants to do whatever Jesus says... She opens up the door to this opportunity of Jesus displaying God's glory. Now, this was probably no surprise to him. But I want you to notice how everything transpires. Verse 9. When the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, I love this parenthetical that John includes. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. See that? There are many people at this party who are drinking this wine, best wine they've ever had. They don't know where it came from. Some of them might be so intoxicated already, they don't even care. <laughs> All they know is this wine is the best they've ever had. But the servants, there's a small group who God in His sovereignty chooses to reveal Himself to in a special way. This small group of servants who are overlooked probably by everybody at the party for the entire week, they get an inside look at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
Because they know the guy. They spoke with the one who told them, fill up the water pots to the top. Take some out, take it to the head waiter. Do you see how God displays His glory through Jesus' miracle? That's what all miracles are for. When people talk about their miracles, I had a miracle in my life. I had a miracle happen. That's fantastic. Do you know every single time a miracle occurs in Scripture, it's for the express purpose of God declaring and displaying the gospel in the world, the good news of salvation. So if God has done a miracle in your life, know that the purpose of that is so that people hear the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not just for you to own and have God's miracle tucked away in your memory for your own personal use. Every miracle of God, the purpose is, when Jesus performs these miracles in the New Testament during His ministry, it is always, always, always to declare the glory of the Father. That's why he says to, to Mary, when she says, they have no wine, the wine is run out. He says, my hour has not yet come. He says that several times in the book of John. John points it out here, again in chapter 7, I think verses 6 and 8, he says it to his disciples. There are things that are happening, and Jesus is making the same statement. My hour has not yet come. However, when the cross, when Calvary, when it's obvious in his ministry that he's going to the cross, he starts to change that narrative and he starts to tell his disciples, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be delivered up. And they're like, what are you talking about? They don't get it. They don't know what's going on. But many times he says, my hour has not yet come. What is he doing? He's deferring to the Father. He's saying, I'm all about the Father's will. And it just so happens that when he performs this miracle, this miracle itself proclaims what God is doing. Notice what happens here in verse 9 and 10. The head waiter tasted the water which had become wine, didn't know where to come from. He called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. When the people have drunk freely, most scholars think that means to the point to where they're a little topsy-turvy. Then he serves the poorer wine because they can't tell the difference. Listen to what he says. But you have kept the good wine until now. And many people in the crowd didn't know. They didn't know what this guy was saying. They didn't know the implications, the eternal implications. But Jesus did, and his disciples would later, because this miracle is showing the world, especially the Jews, who when they think of God the Father, when they think of Adonai, they think of the Lord, the, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they're thinking of Moses. And they're thinking of all the good days with God are in our past. They're in our past. We long for those days. God has been silent. There was a multi-generational silence on the part of prophets. And they were constantly looking back to what God had said, what God had done. And Jesus has come as the Messiah. And this miracle is declaring that God has saved the best for last. 
that these are the last days. And Jesus has come. He's the fulfillment. He's better than everything you've ever experienced. In Hebrews chapter 9, I want you to turn over in your Bibles to see this. In Hebrews chapter 9, if, if you want a, uh, a theme for the book of Hebrews, it's this, Jesus is better. That's the theme of Hebrews. Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies in every way. He is better. Look at verses 11 through 14. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats and calves, this is verse 12, but through His own blood He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? More. Better. He's a better sacrifice. He's a better priest. He's a better tabernacle. He's the answer. He's not just more wine. He's the best. Unrivaled. There's nothing else. There's no one else like Him. There is no other substitute for our sins. There is no other way in which anyone can be saved. So our lives do not require more effort our lives do not require more works. We don't need more religion. We don't need more of the law. What we need is something altogether different as Jesus who dies in our place, who takes our sin and our guilt upon himself. Through whom God and man have been brought near to one another. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 through 17, Paul says to the church there, he says that the gospel is not like the law. See, when Moses received the law of God, he was in God's presence in the form of a burning bush, right? And he came down off the mountain and God's glory shone upon his face, but he wore a veil so that the people wouldn't see God's glory on his face because it would be disrespectful for the people to watch the glory of God dissipate and fade away. And so... They wouldn't look upon Moses and Moses would wear a veil. But Paul says this. He says, but we, Christians, are not like Old Testament Israel. Because now in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glory that we possess in the gospel is not fading away. The wine's not, this wine ain't running out. It's not fading away. Why? Because Jesus is the answer. He's the author and finisher of our faith. All benefited from his miracle, but the servants, the servants encountered him personally. This would have more meaning for them. Imagine as the disciples would follow Jesus and he would teach them the law and he would teach them how he's fulfilling the law. How they would start to put this together as they remember their Old Testament and 
how God dealt with his people and they start to see that Jesus is the answer and they remember this miracle. Later on in their ministry that Jesus turned water into wine and they'll remember the words on the lips of that head waiter who said, this is how most people do things. They're cheapskates. They give the strong stuff at the beginning, they get everybody drunk and then they give them the leftover watered down garbage at the end. But you haven't done that. They'll remember that. These servants and the disciples, they'll remember that and they'll praise Jesus and praise God for what God has done in the gospel. That he gave us his very best. He gave us his one and only son. God doesn't give us his last. He doesn't give us his worst. He gives us his best. Amen? Only when you personally submit your will to his will Will the other people in your life experience the life-changing glory of God? When we simply say to Jesus, hear my burdens, just like Mary did, the wine ran out. Plain and simple. Not trying to manipulate, not trying to control, to lay burden down and then say, whatever he says, Whatever he tells us to do, we're going to do it. Whatever he tells us to do as a church, we're going to do it. Whatever he tells you to do and your family to do and whatever he tells you to do as an individual, would you do it? Follow him and let him display God's glory in and through your life. I'm going to invite you just for a moment as we close this morning. I want to give you just a couple of minutes. Take that Connect card. I hope you got one when you came in. We were policing it pretty heavily today. We were like, take one. Pastor told you you're going to need this later, right? Take that Connect card out. Take a pen. It's going to give you a few moments. Mike's going to come up in a little while. I just want you to spend some time with the Lord. Reflect upon what He has told you today in, your, in his word. What is he telling you to do? What is he calling you to do? Some way of response. What do, you, what do you hope to see God do? Is there something in your life right now that you could just lay at his feet and say, Lord, hear the facts. This is what's going on in my life. Leave it with him. Write it down. Vocalize it to him this morning. What steps do you need to take? Some of you might need to let go of something. Some of you need to follow in obedience. Some of you need a voice to maybe someone else in your life. We need to listen to him and do what he says. And we haven't been doing that. Maybe here this morning, you just need to voice it on the card. Take a few moments. Take a few moments and write those things down.